It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Is healing more than just physical? Are there emotional factors that need to be considered when we heal physical symptoms? Our guest today has worked with energy therapy and emotional healing techniques to achieve complete and permanent healing for herself and her clients. When working with her own long road of healing from Lyme disease, she had an epiphany that healing is more than just physical. Today, we'll be exploring the healing journey with our guest, Amy B. Scher. Amy B. Scher is an energy therapist who uses energy therapy techniques to help those who are experiencing illness and those in need of emotional healing. She's the author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can, A Total Self-Healing Approach for Mind, Body, and Spirit. Join us for the next hour as we explore how to take healing into our own hands with our guest, Amy B. Scher. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Amy, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you for coming. I would like to begin, if you can share with us your your story, your journey with Lyme disease, which you had for many, many years before it was diagnosed. Tell us what what that journey was like. Sure. So my, my bigger journey started before I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. I was having symptoms for many years that doctors couldn't figure out. Arthritis and pain, which was diagnosed as neuropathy in my feet and hands, and chronic digestive issues and fatigue. And eventually, I came to the diagnosis of chronic Lyme disease. And when I was diagnosed with Lyme disease, I was a little bit shocked because I had prior testing that um, never showed Lyme disease. And it wasn't until I was tested with a lab that specializes in tick-borne illnesses that my test came back as Lyme disease. So how many years was this? What are you talking about? My initial symptoms were the beginning of 2000, and I was diagnosed with Lyme disease in 2007. So it was a very long time, which is actually very typical of those diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease because the disease can can look like many other illnesses. And so it becomes very confusing and hard to detect and therefore hard to diagnose. But my major symptoms started more around 2005. So I had some little things like migraines and digestive issues, maybe around 2000, that kind of came and went. And then in 2005, I had problems walking. And that was when my journey sort of took a, a real running start. Right, because you couldn't even move, walk up a ramp. Uh, you were having trouble with real, real fatigue that was, that was not uh, 
diagnosed. <laughs> so tell us, you ended up in India at some point. How, how, what made you go to India and what did you find there? I did. So in 2007, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease and I tried the traditional treatment for that disease. Which is? Which is very heavy dose antibiotic therapy to try to kill the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. Now, what I understand about Lyme disease is that if it's detected early, uh, those antibiotics will usually work. But if it's been in your body for that long, for those many years, it, this is a much more difficult or chronic um, disease in, that you have to live with. Yeah, that's very accurate. If you catch it in the first few days and you take antibiotics for a long enough, they usually rec recommend six weeks. If you do that, then it's it's likely that you won't have to worry about it again. But the longer that it goes on, undiagnosed and untreated, it can really burrow into the bone marrow and the muscles and the tissues in your body, and it becomes hard for the antibiotics to reach that bacteria. And so when I went through this antibiotic therapy, I did injections, I did pills. I also did many alternative treatments, including, um, you know, acupuncture and Ayurvedic and, and supplements and everything like that. And nothing helped me bring my body back. I do feel like the antibiotics really did help kill the bacteria, but my body was so degenerated from being sick for so long that that was more of a problem. And so I heard about this treatment in India, very experimental stem cell treatment in New Delhi, India. And I felt like it was my only chance to survive, to do something to see if I could get better. And so I took a leap of faith and went with my parents by my side, and we went to New Delhi, India for a brand new adventure. Wow, that was amazing, huh? And to, so say something about being in India and, and did that, was that helpful? So yes, India was helpful and scary and fun and horrible and everything else all at the same time. But I was there for almost nine weeks. And when I left, I was significantly better than when I came. I was almost off of all of my medication, all of my pain medication. I was on heart medication and I was significantly better. I was walking without tripping um, and I had energy. I felt good. But that wasn't the end of it. You, you got back home and so what made you then feel that there was something else you could do? So when I got back from India, I thought for all intents and purposes, I was cured and I was ready to just go on with my life. And I did for a little while. And then it was probably about a year or so later, it's hard for me to remember that, that whole, the, the timeline now, where I started having symptoms again. And that was after I had come so far in my health for so long after the stem cells. And that's when I started to explore why I might be re-manifesting this illness with basically a brand new immune system. Like, how was I going backwards again? And that started sort of what I say is like the pivotal part of my journey where I really got into why we manifest illness or symptoms or anxiety or whatever it may be in the first place. So that's when you started to research energy medicine, is, is that correct? I did. I was in London at the time, and I was 
there for a few months. And so I was away from doctors and all that I knew, and I decided that I had to find something else that might try to help me. And I found a Chinese medicine doctor in London who had treated Princess Diana. And I thought, if she could help Princess Di, she could help me. (laughs) And so off I went to this Chinese medicine doctor. And really, Chinese medicine is is a process or a system that works with the body's subtle energy system. So this was my first introduction to energy medicine as I know it now. I know that, that one of the metaphors that you use in talking about all of this, and I, I think it's such a lovely metaphor, you use the metaphor of the healing tree, and you emphasize that in by the time that we see a tree needs help, we, we notice the leaves are brittle or turning brown or whatever, uh, but that that's kind of a symptom of something much deeper, and we can try and spray the leaves, but that's not going to really help. And you talk about going to the soil, and I I love that idea, going to the soil, going to the 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 ground of beans, so to speak, where the root system is. So, so can you say something about that as it relates to our body? Sure. So you explained it really well, actually, where, where we notice symptoms in our body, in our back, in our stomach, in our thyroid, wherever it may be. And that's very symbolic of what we, what we notice in plants when something's going wrong. But by the time it shows up in the leaves of a plant or in our body parts— or, or, or organs or muscles, there's been a problem brewing for much longer. And I believe that just like you would try to fix a dying plant, you would give the root, the you know, the soil nutrients to bring it up through the roots to then heal the leaves. We need to go into the soil of our beings, which is who we really are, our soul, our body, our mind, our spirit, that you, you have to you have to shift the environment that you live in. And by environment, I mean ourselves as sort of an environment, an emotional, spiritual environment, in order to affect the leaves, which are our body parts, our muscles, our glands, instead of just trying to chase the symptoms in each part of our body. So going to that root, um, what do you believe makes up that root system, the soil of who we are. So I believe that our beliefs, our emotions, our perceptions about life, our alignment with who we really are and what we really want to do in life, that's all mixed into the soil. And when that soil gets um, soiled with, with negative emotions and beliefs about ourselves and things we feel like we should have to do or judgments we have about ourselves, that that disturbs our natural environment for health. And I believe that is what needs to be dealt with in order to heal permanently and completely. But you're not suggesting that who we are, our belief systems and that sort of thing, that's what causes, let's say, cancer. I'm just saying that when we have belief systems or emotions that are not 
healthy for us. Like I'll give you an example, a belief of I'm not good enough. A lot of people have this belief. That's a very toxic belief. And because it's a toxic belief, it stresses the immune system. So it doesn't give you cancer. Emotions don't give you cancer, but suppressed emotion and beliefs in our body that aren't healthy really stress our physical body, our immune system. And that is our protective mechanism against things like cancer and Lyme disease and many other illnesses. So the the healthier we can be at an emotional level, the healthier our immune systems and nervous systems are to help protect us from these illnesses. And I am so the the main word there that you're saying is stress. You know that that we but then we all are feeling stress. Yes, and people say that to me all the time, and I always say, the stress that you feel on a day-to-day basis is very different than the stress I'm talking about. So the stress of having to pick up the kids from school and do the laundry and get dinner ready and get back to work in the morning, that is normal life stress. But the deeper stressors, like walking around believing like we're worthless or walking around holding on to old resentment from 20 years ago, those are deep-seated stressors that actually cause big imbalance in your body. And so I tell people, don't worry about stress, but worry about the deep things that are really preventing you from living as freely and healthily as possible. I'm here with Amy B. Cher, and she is the author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. If you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, Amy B. B. is in Bravo, Cher, S-C. H-E-R, amybshare.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Amy B. Sher, and she is the author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can, A Total Self-Healing Approach for Mind, Body, and Spirit. And Amy, we were just talking about stress, and you're talking about these deeper stresses that come from maybe long-lived belief systems that are have not been healthy for our mind, body, spirit, so to speak. I want to go back to something that you said, and I know that you work with, and for yourself, there was, when you got to London, I I think I would call it, you were really ready for something. 
you were saying, oh, there's there's something going on here, and I'm just not going to take it anymore, I, I think is the way I would say it. But I wanted to read something because I, I loved it. This was in your book, and I, I've... I've used this now because I think it was such an important point. It's about readiness. And you say the key is readiness. I'm going to read this from your book. You can see or hear the same thing a hundred times, but not until you are ready will your whole self receive it. Boy, isn't that the truth? We can hear all this advice all over, over and over and over. You go on to say, I needed to get to a point of being so finished with the disease, the burden, and the struggle that I just refused to participate in it anymore, not in a way that caused me to fight it or to be angry at it. In other words, not participating with, I'm going to take up my arms and fight this, go to battle with it, or be angry at it. But you go on to say, but in a way where my spirit was truly done. I was ready to take a deep breath, surrender to the new starting point, and complete the experience I had been going through. That was so well said. I, I, I really recognize something in that, that idea of readiness. Can, can you speak about why that kind of readiness is important in this whole healing journey. Yeah, thank you for reading that. That is one of my favorite excerpts from the book. <laughs> I really oh, do do resonate so strongly with that. And in clients that I work with now, I see that. Sometimes I think, you know, um, we 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 are drawn to things when we're truly ready and we have to participate fully in any process of change. And I appreciate that you really pointed out about that I wasn't done in a way that I was angry and I was going to fight back and I was going to, because that's something totally different. I was ready to let go. And when you're angry and battling and, you know, there's the war against this and the fight with this and that's still engaging in the process of illness at a really deep level. And I was done engaging with it. I wanted to separate from it. And they're really two different things. And I think... When each person is ready, they find the thing or things that will help them complete the experience that they have been going through, but not until that very second when they're ready. And sometimes we try many times and it doesn't work out or we don't really show up or whatever it may be, and it may just not quite be our time yet. So one of the ideas when when you do approach or when you are in that readiness mode one of the ideas that you have is that that's a moment of surrender. So what do you mean by surrender? I mean, oh, goodness, that, that's a scary moment to surrender to our, let's say, illness or discomfort. Right. And everybody thinks that surrender is such a scary word, but really surrender is just deciding to channel the energy we've been using to fight into the direction of healing, to just sit there for a second and say, this is where I am, whether I like it or not, and now I'm going to go this way. And it's very, very important to surrender because you can flow 
in the right direction when you surrender. You are open to different types of insights and intuitions when you surrender. And when you surrender, you don't give up. Again, you are just saying, okay, I'll admit that I'm here right now and maybe I don't like it. And maybe, you know, I hope I'm only here for five days, but this is where I am right now. And there is so much energy that can be then redistributed into your healing journey when you do that. So when I have clients that are fighting illness, I just hate having this. I don't want to have it. I feel sick every day. And they're so into that. I say, but you have to be at peace with it, even just for five minutes so that you can move on from it. The healing energy is very different from the battling energy. I, I know that there you pointed out in your own journey that was it was a very vivid portrait of you being in a chair and getting IV injections of antibiotics or something, I guess, was it? That was stem cells when or, I was in or, India. Yeah. So you're in stems, getting stem cells. And and as you're doing that, you're watching the nurse and you're watching, you're monitoring everything and you, you're in kind of control of everything. And then you, you, you said at some point, and I just, I love this image, at some point you said, I breathe deeply and I turned my head away. I love that. Thank you. And I let go. I realized that letting go is such a conscious choice. I was so used to manipulating and not manipulating as in being manipulative, but manipulating my whole life and making sure I got to the right doctor and I made sure they did everything right and I made sure that nothing got missed. And when I was in India and I was watching the nurse and the nurses there don't have the same hygienic practices that they do in the United States. It's a different world and they have different rules. And I was very disturbed by that. And so it caused me so much stress every time I got an IV to watch how they did the IV compared to my nurses at home, you know? And so I realized though when you when you you know tell that story I realized in that in that moment that I could just turn my head and not watch. It was as easy as just turning my head and not watching in order to let go. And the energy I gained for my healing with that practice of just turning my head and not watching was huge and it was all in a split second conscious choice to just do it, to just let go, to just not do that thing that was draining me. So there's a, a, a deep acceptance in that moment of, okay, I'm here right now. I don't I, I, I don't choose this in some way, but, you know, the Lyme disease happened to me. Uh, I mean, you didn't choose that on a, on a certain level. Yeah, that, absolutely. That you certainly didn't choose it. You didn't choose that tick to come and bite you and, and take you on this journey, but you're on the journey. And as you say, you at some point you're saying, okay, I'm going to just flow. I am going to flow with this. Right, because up until that point, I had been researching doctors and researching Lyme disease and trying to help help my medical team sort of figure out what, what would make most sense. And I was always bringing them new research. And I was doing all of this stuff. And then in India, I went, wait a second, maybe this is not how you heal because look where I am. I ended up um, you know, almost dying. And now I'm in a third world country at an experimental clinic, like maybe me controlling every step of the journey wasn't a good idea or isn't a good idea anymore. Because what if I'm controlling myself away from what I actually need? Now, that's a very profound question that we could ask ourselves. What am I doing that is 
helpful? And what am I doing that may be harmful? So, I, you know, that, that reminds me of some of the uh, energy techniques. And let's say, let's, let's go into, like, I know one of the techniques is muscle testing. Yes. And you come up with, with a lot of questions we can ask ourselves. And I would think that that, that that question, is this helpful, might be a great question to do with muscle testing. Can you describe muscle testing? Sure. Muscle testing is a process where we use testing on our muscles to find out what is in the subconscious mind. So much of our lives and what happens and how we feel and what we believe is stored in the subconscious mind. And we don't have access easily or very often to that part of the mind. So muscle testing is a tool to ask the subconscious mind, hey, where am I stuck? What's going on? What is stuck inside my body or stressing my body that I need to clear? And so muscle testing, as I explained in my book, is that process. And I do give a lot of questions. Now, muscle testing is not not necessarily the truth of, is this good for me or not? It's what is my body in resonance with? So if we were to ask something like, is it beneficial for me to go see this doctor? Or sometimes sometimes our mind can get in the way and we're reading, do, do we already think this doctor is too expensive? Or have we heard a bad story about this doctor? Or whatever it may be. So I teach in the book, about muscle testing and how to ask so that we can really find out what our body is in resonance with as far as beliefs and emotions. And if those things don't work for us, how to use energy therapy techniques to clear them. So you could use muscle testing to find out what stuck emotions, old emotions, anger, or guilt, or resentment are stuck in the body. That doesn't mean they have to stay there. Muscle testing is gaining information to then assess, maybe I don't want old guilt and resentment and anger stuck in my body, and now I'm going to use these techniques to clear them or release them from my body. I know that you give an example, uh, a story of one of your clients, and it was a man who had eczema. Eczema is something that, it, you know, it really itches and so forth. So it's a symptom. If we're talking about the language of the body is speaking to us and giving us these, as you describe them, breadcrumbs to, to follow. So how can you describe how you worked with muscle testing and, and this man? Sure. So what I do with all of my clients and what I teach everybody to do for themselves is to ask questions about the symptoms that the subconscious mind will, so so the subconscious mind can lead us to what emotional stuff might be triggering the imbalance in the body to create those symptoms. So what happens in the energy body with old emotions or beliefs or stresses is that it imbalances the energy body. And because our energy flows through all of our organs, muscles, and glands, what happens is if a certain part of the body becomes imbalanced, symptoms will show up. So I use muscle testing to ask the body things like, do I have something from my past I haven't let go of yet? And see how the body responds if we get a yes or no. And then we can start asking about, well, did it happen before age 30? Like we can just like if we were having a conversation with our body, well, what what happened, you know? But we just need to ask questions that are yes and no questions because the body can't speak in in, you know, in language just through symptoms. And so through muscle testing, we can actually pinpoint the experiences we've had in our life that are still being stored in our body. So we may get some t- to something like at age 28, I was fired from my job. And maybe, you know, that's still 
quote-unquote, getting under somebody's skin. And when we go back and clear that using the techniques, that experience of maybe being fired and unfairness and holding on to old resentment or maybe guilt because we think we did something wrong to get fired, that can really, really help restore the flow to the energy body and and clear the symptoms. So in this case, did his symptoms then clear up after those emotional traumas were released. Yes, and I see that over and over again. Now, now let's just describe uh, in just one moment we're going to describe what muscle testing is, what it, what it actually looks like or feels like or how to do it. So, I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Amy B. Share and she's the author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can: The Total Self-Healing Approach for Mind, Body, and Spirit. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Amy B. Cher, and she's the author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. And Amy, we're talking about muscle testing. Uh, first of all, before we talk about how to clear what comes up, what we discover in muscle testing, describe how we test our muscles. And I guess we we need to partner with it. Is this right? No, all of the techniques that I teach are self-muscle testing. So nothing in my book requires you to have a partner, which is so important because that would stop many people. And muscle testing, you're right, though, is typically done when another person helps you. But, but there are many techniques or types of muscle testing that can be done on your own. So that's what I teach. Can you describe that? Sure. So I'll give you um, one test, one muscle testing technique that I use that I talk about in the book is called the standing test. Some people call it the sway test. And so what you do is you stand up straight and you make sure your toes are pointing nice and straight forward and you relax your body and you take a big deep breath and you ask your body a question. I'll give an example. Um, is there... Um, is there energy, you know, you can ask, is there energy from an old relationship in my past causing or contributing to eczema? We're just going to stick with this. And you just relax and breathe and allow your body to either tip forward naturally or sway backwards gently. What's happening there is that your body, through your muscle contractions basically, is either moving forward subtly or backward subtly, whether it's in resonance with that question or not. So when your body gently falls forward, and you're not going to fall on the ground, you'll just move a couple inches. When your body gently moves forward, your body's saying, yes, yes, this is true for me. It's moving toward the idea. When your subconscious mind is saying, no, there's no relationship from my past causing this, your body tips backwards to give you a no. I'm moving away from that thought or idea. And so muscle testing is as simple as that. That's one test, but other ones we use the muscles in our arms or our fingers. It just, dep- you know, it just depends. And you describe those in, in the book. I do. I teach two muscle testing techniques in the book, and there's so many muscle testing techniques. In my online course, I teach a couple more, and you can find them online as well. Great. Now, let's suppose we get down to, oh, it was this 
incident that really I'm holding resentment about. Or uh, so, how do we now? Now we're at that point. We we pinpointed something in our subconscious. How do we? release that. So there's different techniques that I teach in the book. Um, One of them is emotional freedom technique or EFT tapping, it's called, where we tap on different acupressure points on the body that correspond with different energy pathways to release that stuck energy associated with that experience from our body. I also teach another technique that I created called thymus test and tap, where we use muscle testing to test emotions from a chart, old stuck emotions like anger and guilt and grief. And then we tap on our thymus gland, which is the master gland of our immune systems. It's just inside our chest. And we tap to release those emotions. So I teach two techniques for releasing old stuff. They can be used together or they can be used separately. So in the, uh, so you would like tap this place in your chest. Yeah. So you're, and as, as you're doing something else, just tapping or do you, you do something else? You just else? tap. And, and for our listeners, I'll just explain that the thymus gland is about an inch below the notch of your neck. So where you would tie a tie, the thymus gland, if you just go south, an inch down is under your breastbone in that area. And so you would just tap for each emotion that you identify on this chart that I provide in the book in order to release the emotion. And you do one emotion at a time and go through until you've cleared all the emotions from that experience. And that's the, the releasing process. And if you're, that's the thymus tapping. Yes. If you're going to use the um, EFT what might that be? What? Those are different tapping points. There are tapping points on the hand, face, and body. And that's a process of tapping on each point about five to seven times in a very specific way while talking about the old experience. So you're bringing up the energy of the old experience when you talk about it. And when you tap, you're actually tapping it out or releasing it from your system. So if in this case, if you're saying, okay, I was unfairly fired, and this makes me very resentful. So you're saying that I I am resentful of this, and then you you're tapping some part of your body. Yes, and there's there's a chart in the book, and I walk through. But you're basically tapping and talking at the same time. You talk out loud. You talk out loud if you can. If you can't, some people are uncomfortable with that. You can talk in your head, but it does help emotional processing to talk out loud. So you are basically, you know, people ask me, well, shouldn't I think positive? Shouldn't I talk? Why should I talk about an old, you know, bad thing that happened? But really, we've probably all learned that suppressing or ignoring doesn't work. And so bringing up that energy and tapping at the same time helps change the relationship or the reaction in our body with that experience. It creates a, a, a relaxed experience or a relaxed relationship to that experience. So that thing happened, but now I've tapped the trauma of it out of my body. So that just happened. And maybe I wish it didn't, but I'm okay with it. It helps you release the emotional trauma around it. Is this release immediate? The release is often immediate, but you don't always feel the results immediately. So different people are different. I have clients that oh boy, do I wish I was like them. In 10 minutes, everything can change for them in a session. 
I'm somebody who will do the releasing and then maybe feel a difference, maybe not in the next few hours or a few days, and I'll feel something later. Also, we need to remember that these traumas that have been held in our body for a really long time have had a long time profound impact on our systems, on our digestive system and our endocrine system and our immune system. And so once we release that trauma, it doesn't mean that instantly that system will come back to health. A lot of times it will take time for that system to come back once we've released the suppressed trauma. So there's a a degree of patience that is part of this whole process. Yes. And there's often not just one thing in the past that gets stuck and triggered something. There's many different beliefs and experiences. Now, you certainly don't have to clear them all in order to be happy, healthy, and well, but you need to make a dent in them. So I teach in the book how to make lists of things that happened to you that you might not have let let go of yet and how to really figure out. And when we go back to the tree, there's a healing tree example or illustration in my book that's really a map for what to clear and how to clear it and, and just giving giving readers tons of ideas because it is hard to come up with these things on our own. Yes, exactly, exactly. I know another technique that that I really particularly loved um, is just sitting outside with your back against a tree. So what 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 is the benefit of this kind of technique? So that's actually a grounding technique where we sit on the ground with our back against the tree and we allow the earth's energy to run up our body to basically, we allow, you know, the energy from the ground to come up into our feet and we allow the um, energy of the tree to, to, to come up our spine and the earth has many natural healing properties. And so when we connect with the earth's energy, that actually helps our emotional and physical health in huge ways. There's a lot of science now on what's called grounding, which is connecting to the earth's energy for healing. And it's easy and it's free. It's free. And it's sometimes like walking barefoot on on the ground is suggested for this kind of grounding. Absolutely. So walking on sand, dirt, grass, or even unsealed concrete, just having the soles of your feet touch, stay in contact with the earth for at least I like 15 minutes really draws up that healing property from the earth that's able to do a lot of good work in your body. I always have the intention of doing that and I never quite pull it off. So maybe this uh, is going to give me the impetus to, hey, really do it, to make it a daily part of my daily practice. Yeah, we. I think we get so busy that it seems like going outside and standing or doing nothing isn't a good idea. But one interesting thing is, and there's a little bit of it in my book, but the science behind it, a lot of times when we understand why something's so important to do, it's much easier to encourage ourselves to do right, it. Right, exactly, exactly. Now, going back to, to the negative beliefs and things like that, you have, you devote some parts of your book about these harmful beliefs that we have, like um, the things that we do to ourselves. Let's say, for example, you have, I'm going to mention a couple of them, um, our negative self-talk, that that's one, or victim mentality is another, or draining vocabulary. So let's talk about draining vocabulary. What, what can you say about the effects and what are what would 
an example be of draining vocabulary? Sure, I'll give a couple of examples. One is, and we hear it all the time, is I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Our, we listen to our own language and our cells listen and respond to what we say and what we think. And when we constantly say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. So you're saying our body believes that then. Then it's like, I'm overwhelmed. And then the body goes, the cells are, oh, she's overwhelmed. Uh-oh. Yep. And then goes into stress mode. And it's the worst thing for overwhelm to remind yourself how overwhelmed you are. So I suggest different vocabulary to use as far as for instead of overwhelmed, you could use I'm whelmed because whelmed means my, I'm full. I have a, I'm, I'm full. It's a, it's a more abundant phrase that feels so much better. Like I'm so lucky that I have so much going on. It's just a shift. It's just a shift in thinking that sends your body a much better message. So it's like teaching ourselves some of these more positive ways of holding that that same energy being with lots to do, but rather than talking about being overwhelmed to saying, oh, I've got all these wonderful things right. I can be doing. I'm whelmed with I'm things to do. with things to do. Yeah. And another one um, that I hear often is, I have anxiety. I have Lyme disease. I have chronic fatigue. And when we use the word have, we are staking ownership in something. And it doesn't make sense to stake ownership in something that we don't want. That's also sending the wrong message to the body. So I always encourage clients to say, I'm experiencing chronic fatigue or I'm I don't I actually tell them to ditch the word chronic because chronic insinuates it will never be over which is another you know wrong message so I'm experiencing fatigue or I'm experiencing pain or whatever it may be which shows the body that I can experience something and then experience and then not experience it it's just an experience and that is very fleeting that reminds me of that phrase then up until now I'm experiencing this Mm-hmm. But then that kind of opens up the future to something different. Definitely, which is the idea of ditching the word chronic as well, because you can't say I'm trying to heal from chronic fatigue because you're insinuating in that sentence that it's never going anywhere. And so your body may read that as why should I heal or nothing's going to work because I'm being, I'm being sent this message that it's it's everlasting. Exactly. So what about um, then the idea of um, self-talk is slightly different from these, um, let's say, draining vocabulary? Yeah. So draining vocabulary are words that you use every day to interact with the world. Or I'm so busy. I'm too busy. Yes. So let, we'll, we'll go on with this in just one moment. I'm here with, I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Amy B. Sher, and she's the author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Amy B. Cher, and she's the author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can, The Total Self-Healing Approach for Mind, Body, and Spirit. And we're talking about self-talk. And you were just starting to explain something about what, what this entails. Yeah, so training vocabulary is vocabulary we use in our speech. And training and negative self-talk is that which goes on in our mind. So these are the thi- this is our narration that happens all day when we're not maybe realizing it about, why did you do that? That was so stupid. That doesn't make sense. You shouldn't have done that. All these crazy, silly things that go on in our brain. We need to shift those because if you're beating yourself up all day long, you are not sending any messages to yourself that you are worthy of being healthy and happy. So that kind of goes along too with kind of victim consciousness that, oh, it, they're doing it to me. Or right, it it can. A lot of people have negative self-talk that really revolves around the world is against me. I can't win. Nobody cares. That's very victim mentality. And I write a lot about that in my book because victim mentality is very dangerous. We all want to be heard and we all want to be validated. Um, But when we make our life story about what everyone else did to us, it doesn't hurt anybody but us. And so maybe, maybe we have been wronged in the past or maybe whatever has happened has been unfair. But if you want to move forward in a positive way, you have to once again surrender to whatever happened happened and find a way to change the story from look what they did to me I'll never get anywhere I'll never get over this to this is what I'm going to do to change my life which is much more empowering exactly exactly so I know that you write about one of the biggies fear is one of the biggies so uh, what can you tell us about fear and how we hold that in our body So I call fear the real F word because fear is so dangerous and so such a theme for so many of us. And I'm not talking about fear in terms of fears and phobias. I'm talking about deep-seated fears that we'll be judged or we won't be accepted or fears that prevent us from being who we really are and expressing our thoughts and emotions and feelings. And fear can show up in many, many ways, but it's the thing that I find as the common denominator amongst all of my clients that I work with that are experiencing illness or emotional challenges. We're so afraid at a deep level that it creates a a sense of insecurity that we're not safe in the world, either emotionally or physically. And fear is a very important thing to deal with, whether it be fear that other people are going to judge you or fear that you're not going to be good enough and fail. Whatever the deep-seated fear or fears are, are very important to resolve. So do you have any examples where you've worked with someone who is suffering from extreme fear? Yeah, I'll give you an example that I see all the time, which is the fear of other people being unhappy with them. Probably one of the biggest fears I see, just people being terrified that if someone else is unhappy with them, the world will end. And so what they do is they self-sacrifice and they do whatever they can to dim their own light or manipulate their own personality to prevent that other person from being unhappy with them. And one of the 
biggest improvements I always see is when somebody just stops caring quite as much. You don't want to you don't want to not care what other people how other people feel. You don't you want to be a compassionate human being. But when you can let go of your attachment, your happiness being connected to how what someone else is doing or saying or feeling about you, there's really a lot of freedom in that. You know, as you're saying that, I'm just reminded for myself. I'm I'm going through a whole like a, a two-year program of weight management or medical weight management, I guess it's called. And it's just, in, and it's part of it is a group work and part of it is the way we eat and exercise and all of that. But, and it's intense for me, just intense for me. But being with the group and hearing from my cohorts in it, uh, hearing the stories of, their friends or even their family who are sabotaging them in the way that they they are choosing to live their life and how difficult it is for so many of us to buck the tide of that because it's like we want to please the other and we want to be accepted and we want their approval and then yet we're doing something that's really different and everybody gets triggered in this. Uh, can you say something Yeah, about and that? that comes from a very, very valid place. When we're young, the only way we can survive physically and emotionally is by making sure those around us are happy with us. And so it's actually a survival instinct because we want our parents to be happy with us. We want, and and kids who grow up in abusive, physically or emotionally abusive households need to make sure that everybody's happy all of the time or they, they will be in danger. So we grow up whether we you know lived in an abusive household or not we grow up as kids being trained to make sure other people around us are happy but the problem is we never grow out of that and when you're an adult you are you are in charge of or responsible for your own emotional and physical safety and so we we still stay in that pattern and i don't know there has to be Maybe one day well, this will be one of my projects, but there has to be something that happens in some transitional age where where it's okay for you to move into re- who you really are and what you really think and know that the people around you will will survive and be okay even if they don't like it. But we're trained like that. I mean, we have to survive like that as children so that we end up like that as adults until we realize that's not working and change it. So what kind of techniques would you suggest that we use then uh, when we've discovered that, okay, we want to make this other choice that's not dependent on the approval of others? So I have a whole chapter in the book on fear, which talks about releasing fear from the body, and there's techniques for that. But then also going back and releasing harmful beliefs such as, I can't be safe when others around me are unhappy. And those are some listed in the book using the sweep or chakra tapping, which I outline in the book. Um, those are ways to clear the deep-rooted, deep-seated belief that I have to make everybody else happy. Can you just briefly go through what you mean by the sweep technique? The sweep is a technique that I created, which is basically a script that you repeat. It's super easy. I like people to record it on their phone or recording device and then follow along with it. But basically the sweep is a very gentle subconscious release technique where we are using specific phrases that I lead you through to sweep that old belief 
out of the subconscious mind to gently tell it, I know you've been holding this here for a long time, that I'll be unsafe if people around me are unhappy, but we're going to let you let that go now because it's not working anymore. And it's a very simple, effective technique that that anybody can do to release these old beliefs. So say, what is the technique? Once you say the word, say, okay, I'm going to release it, what, how? You just say the words? No. You just say the words. You're actually talking to the subconscious mind using language that I created via muscle testing to make sure it was just the perfect language. In order, it's a releasing script. It works. It's not hypnosis, but it works similarly where you're suggesting a new, you're suggesting that the subconscious mind release the old thing and install a new belief like I can be safe even if other people around me are unhappy. It's just a script and it works. So you're replacing it. You, 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 you. You keep replacing it, replacing it, replacing yes. it. So um, any anything else that you want to add? Uh, I know that one of the things that you talk about is that I, I kind of jotted down for myself that you you really want this for yourself. You really feel you deserve it for yourself. You feel that you're able to transform this for yourself and you're ready. I love these, you know, want, deserve, able, and ready, uh, these these particular phrases to ourselves. When we've arrived there, then I want to say magic can happen, but healing can really happen. Yes. Do you have anything to say about that? So you do really have to be in alignment with healing, and a lot of us are not in alignment with that thing we're trying to get, whether it's healing or weight loss or being calm, or there's part of us that feels like we don't deserve it, or maybe we're not ready because maybe that would change our life in such a way that that would be scary. This is all totally normal, but the book really walks you through figuring out what those blocks might be and releasing them so that you are truly at at your core level, able, ready, willing, all of those things, deserving of healing or of weight loss or of of, of being calm, you know, if you're somebody struggling with anxiety, whatever it is, when you're in alignment with believing that it can happen and that it will and that you deserve it, everything can change. That's wonderful. May, may it be so. So listening to our body's symptoms and then using some of these techniques uh, to go into the energy body and, and to know that, that even when we are, let's say, healed from some symptoms that we need to revisit and kind of keep this clear from our system, would you say? Exactly, because by keeping your system clear and your energy flowing, you're able to stay in that state of wellness. And to go back to the body's symptoms for just a second, there is a whole section in the book that talks about what each part of the body, if it seems to be dysfunctioning, can 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 tell you. What does it mean? What does it mean when, you know, I keep re-injuring my shoulder? Yes, maybe you're doing something physical, but is your body telling you that there's energy stored there or somewhere else that's indicative of, you know, you feel shrugged off in life or whatever the message may be is very helpful to figure that out. Exactly. So you have a lot of uh, little keys that we can key into. So I want to thank you so much, Amy, for being with us today. Thank you. It was really fun, a true pleasure. Thank you. I've been speaking with Amy B. Sher, and she's the author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can, A Total Self-Healing Approach for Mind, Body, and Spirit. 
And if you want to know more about her, you can go to her website, amybshare.com, and she spells her name Amy, A-M-Y. The initial B is in Bravo, Share, S-C-H-E-R, amybshare.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3584. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio and Media in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Please visit us at newdimensions.org, where you can find nearly a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our archive and many other resources. That's newdimensions.org. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. Since 1973, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge of culture, the arts, science, health, psychology, spirituality, and a host of other fields. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drazen. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer, supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, and thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, to become a member of Friends of New Dimensions, or to purchase downloadable copies of this and many other New Dimensions programs, visit our website, newdimensions.org. Or you can reach us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.